Welcome to the Simplify Jesus Podcast. We're your hosts, Matt Gunter and Bill Allen, and together we are breaking barriers through communication. Well, welcome back to Simplify Jesus, everybody, where we are breaking barriers through communication. I'm Bill Allen, and this is Matt Gunter over here. We are going to be jumping into Joshua this week. Last week, we left off with Moses and recapped his story in Deuteronomy from his birth to his death and all of the amazing events in between. This week, we're going to be jumping into the story of Joshua, which is one of my favorites. I enjoy this one a lot. Let's not waste any time. Let's jump on in. What you got for us today, Matt? So, as you can imagine, uh, coming off of all of these years following Moses' uh, excellent leadership, Joshua really had some big shoes to fill. And You know, if you think about it, Moses was in his 70s when he came in uh, from Midian and and led the people. He led them for 40 years in the wilderness. He led them through all the plagues and all that stuff. So this was a big deal for uh, for Joshua to be the next guy in charge. But the book of Joshua starts off with one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Um, And basically the message is is simple. God's telling him, be strong and courageous because God was going to be with him wherever he went. And so with that, with that commission, with that challenge, Joshua prepared the people. He got everybody together, getting ready to cross over on the Jordan River and to go take on the promised land. The long-awaited moment of truth. They finally get to cross the river. It's about time, my goodness. (laughs) So one of the one of the first places we see Joshua go is the city of Jericho and um so before the whole group crosses over the Jordan River Joshua sends in a couple of spies to check out the land and they meet a prostitute named Rahab and so so somebody saw him in the mix uh, and ratted him out and so the king of Jericho comes out he comes out with some men they come to Rahab's house. They're like, okay, hey, you got to let them go. Let them out. We got to get them out of here. Um, they were, they knew that they were foreigners and not welcome. But Rahab, to her credit, uh, hit them and said, oh, no, the Israelites left. They took off down the road, um, kind of pointed them in the wrong direction. So you may be wondering, well, what is this prostitute Rahab? What, what does it benefit her? And Joshua 2, 8 through 9 gives us a little insight. It says, before the men fell asleep, the Israelites, that is, Uh, She went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. So the news about all Moses and the Israelites had reached the land of Canaan. They knew they were coming for them. They knew that this was going to be their land. So everybody was freaking out. And so when they saw these guys come in, they saw these Israelites come in. uh, The king was not having it. said, we got to get these guys out of here. So ultimately she let the Israelites out down a window and they made a deal with her because she took care of them. They said, if you'll put the scarlet cord on your window, that when we come in, we're going to you know destroy the city, um, but we're going to take care of you. We're going to make sure that you and your family are safe. That is some trust. She, she must've made a, a big impression on them Yeah, for them to tell her basically the plans. I mean, everybody knew already, Yeah, but you know, yeah, we're going to come in and destroy the city, but we'll we'll spare you if you put this scarlet mm-hmm. cord on your window. Yeah. Who's to say she wasn't going to run off and say, here's what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, and that is crazy because, you know, it's amazing to me that they knew this was coming. I mean, this is one of those things that 
in the day and age of the internet and social media and all that, everybody kind of knows everything that's going on. And so we, we hear about things, you know, the fact that we get, if you want to know what's going on in the Ukraine and Russia, you can get news reports from there that are sent out and you know exactly what's happening in battle and all that stuff. Like, that's kind of crazy to me. Of course, if it's not fake news, but you know, yeah, right. <laughs> whole nother podcast. <laughs> we'll get to that one later. Um, but the fact that in the late bronze age, these guys knew they, they knew who the Israelites were. They knew they were coming. I mean, this was a big deal. It, it's crazy to me that, that the king of Jericho had had gotten news of these guys, of the battles in the wilderness and how God had protected them and delivered them out. And you, you can tell this was a big deal. And that, like you said, she must have made an impression on them because, you know, they're, they're getting the message that they're a feared people. And so for them to say, okay, we'll, we'll take care of you. You're, you're going to be all right. That's, that, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. So, Spies come back, they bring their report back to Joshua and the people, and uh, shortly after that, all of the Israelites cross over the Jordan to take on their first battle in the Battle of Jericho. It's a really cool scene here when they cross the Jordan. Uh, the people were led in by the priests. There were priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant. They had poles that went through it, and they held onto the poles to lead the Ark of the Covenant through. As soon as the priest's feet touched the water, the water stopped flowing downstream. So it, it just it just stopped flowing where they were. And as it stopped flowing, the Israelites crossed over. They crossed over on dry land. And then after all the people had crossed over, um, God instructed them to set out memorial stones in the Jordan River, uh, 12 of them. And uh, then those who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant crossed over and the water started flowing again. And so... It's really cool that this moment, God's in, trying to encourage Joshua and embolden him and, and set him apart, show him as the leader that God's called him to be to the people. And so you get a little bit of this uh, recap of the parting of the Red Sea almost. It's mm-hmm. It looks a little different, but that's kind of the feel you get here as they're uh, crossing into the promised land. Seems a little less dramatic than, you know, Moses holding up his staff in his hands and the water <laughs> rushing above everybody. And, you know, yeah. so... Catch this, y'all. 12 memorial stones placed in the riverbed. And then the water started flowing again. Mm -hmm. 12 tribes of Israel, Mm -hmm. 12 stones, 12 disciples. 12 appears over and over and over and over again. Just like seven. Just like 40. Just like, those are the main three, really. Yeah, those are the big ones. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. It is. And, And you think about... You can't tell me that that there's not a theme. I mean, if if an author today were writing a book about this stuff and writing it as fiction, he were making up the story. This is the kind of stuff he would put in it, right? Mm-hmm. He he would put in these these themes and these these threads that you could pull through all the way through the story. We'll and talk it, about it in a little bit. This isn't fiction. Like right. like this this actually happened, and so you 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 see these themes through there, and it's it's so cool um, to see how how the threads pull through and how even in things like the number of major and minor prophets and the, the, like you said, the numbers of disciples. And I mean, there's so many things that are um, cool to see, but, but the number 12 shows up yet again. And it's, as you said, as if a fiction author were to be writing this story, it's those kinds of themes that really draw you in and make you wonder why, what is he, 
what's the point? Because you start to notice them after a while. Yeah. You know, the first couple, it's like, oh, there it is again. Whoa, okay, there's there's the third, fourth, fifth time. What's going on? They've made TV shows and movies about yeah. numbers, right? right. And, and what they represent when they are constantly repeated in different yeah. environments, situations. It, you just kind of wonder what, what that's all about. And then, then I even look at verses. John 3.16, obviously. I'm trying to remember. There's another 3.16 that's a big one. Um, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 is a big one. Um, uh, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction. Um, and, and then and then you look at John 3.16, which is God sent his, his son to die, mm-hmm. right? So, so those two really do work together. Yeah. And of course, the Bible was put together much later. And, and and it didn't have those those references. It didn't have those numbers in the beginning, but now when we go back and look at it all, they just really the numbers, the even the the addresses of each each set of scripture works together. So so here's another cool one along those same lines. And I, and I full candor here, I couldn't remember for sure. I had to go look it up. But even First John three sixteen, this is how we know. We have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I mean, John wrote these letters, um, I'm going to assume, at least years apart, if not decades apart. In different phase of life, he wrote one that was all about the life of Christ and another one that was meant to be an encouragement to the churches. He wrote one that's all about the life of Jesus, and then he wrote another one, he wrote another three that were meant to be encouragement to the churches. And yet, 316 in both of them, in John and in 1 John, very well aligned with, with their message. He didn't plan the chapter and verses. He wrote the letters. That happened well after the fact, but yet somehow they line up perfectly. And I mean, it, you, you can't you can't make this stuff up. It's it, it's so perfect, you, you assume it has to be made up, but it's not. Like, it's it fits too well, and it's all true. Well, and we have to make sure that we, that, that the listeners understand that these first uh, John these are letters mm-hmm. written the the books of the Bible are letters and what else would you call like Matthew there there's um, there's letters there's uh, historical documents yeah. like the 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 Torah that we finished with all the life of Moses that was like Israel's history book right. you know that, that Moses right. wrote for him um, yeah there's it's made up of poems and all, it's all kinds of stuff, yeah. um, different, different forms that people wrote in. Um, but they all have the same message from, I think it's like 40 different men, mm-hmm. uh, at least 40 different men wrote it, but the same theme, the same common message throughout right. over thousands of years. It, it's incredible. It is. It is. And again, those numbers were not included in the original writing. Right. <laughs> they were put in much later and people did not go in and, you know, rewrite John's letters or Paul's letters to make the numbers match up. Right. They're written the way they were written and they just happen to match up. I just got stuck on a tangent there, but I just think that's really cool. It's absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. So after they set up the memorial stones and they cross over the river, the Israelite army goes on and they're going to take on the city of Jericho. But God here gives them some very different instructions than uh, what you might expect. So a little note on Jericho. Jericho was known as a very well fortified city, um, had very tall walls. I want to say I read somewhere it was like 12 to 15 feet tall. 
brick, stone, like this was not a place you were just going to walk up and get into. So they had to have a little bit of creative battle tactics. Uh, Joshua 6, 2 through 5, the Lord said to Joshua, look, I've handed Jericho, its king and its best soldiers over to you. March around the city with all the men of war circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven rams horned trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, March around the city seven times while the priests blow the ram's horns. When when there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear its sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the troops will advance and each man straight ahead. Another fun number, the number seven. Very important there. This is exactly what the Israelites did. They they did exactly what God told them to do. They marched around the city once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, gave a long blast of their horns, and the walls fell right before their eyes. And the Israelites went in. They completely destroyed the city, um, basically burned it to the ground. But they did, they did keep their promise to Rahab that they protected her and her family. Can I add that, again, I try to be candid with everything, with my reactions to, mm-hmm. to all of this. And yep. I didn't know... We were going to be talking about the seventh day and the seventh times before I started mentioning the numbers. <laughs> so that's interesting too. That, yeah. That that twelve memorial stones caught my attention, and here we are now talking about seven. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's uh, it's, everywhere. it's yeah. everywhere. And again, it's not me. I'm not some, you know, some prophet or something. That's that's <laughs> just, you know, God showing us the cool stuff in His story. That's it. That's exactly it. I love it. So the Israelites have big victory over the mighty city of Jericho. And as you might imagine, they're they're pretty confident at this point, right? So before they went into Jericho, they had a special instruction. And and really that special instruction was destroy everything. Don't take anything out of the city. Don't take anything for yourself. And and kind of the thinking behind that, what what most people believe is that it's, you know, the, the cities that were in this promised land, were worshiping false gods. They were, you know, sacrificing to, you know, Baal and they had astro poles and all this stuff. And so basically everything in these places was tainted. And so you take it, you're taking something that's tainted because it's been used to worship a false God. And so basically God's instruction was destroy it all. You don't, you don't want to take any of that. Well, some of the guys, they saw some things they liked. Um, think of some silver and gold. They took it with them thinking, okay, I'll just put that in my back pocket. No big deal. Not realizing anything had happened. Joshua sent in some spies to check out the next city, uh, AI, and see what that battle was going to look like. Scouts get there. Like, ah, no problem. Um, they could send in a couple of thousand guys and win the battle with these. There were no real fortifications. There shouldn't be an issue. That's not how the story went. Uh, in fact, the Israelites went down with full confidence they were going to win the battle, and they got their tails kicked. And they got kicked all the way back to where the Israelites as a whole were camped out. Talk about putting a damper on things. Uh, this really drug them down a notch. I mean, they just took down Jericho, and now little AIs, you know, giving them fits. But uh, but Joshua went before God, and he prayed. He said, you know, hey, God, what, what, why is this happening? Why are you not with us now when we go to take these guys on? And so God told him, there's somebody among you who didn't follow my commands. And because of them, uh, his protection wasn't going to be on them in battle. 
So, long story short, they found the guy and uh, his family and all he owns got rid of him. Uh, they stoned him uh, for breaking God's covenant. Um, again, that that mindset of there if there, there's evil here, if there's worship to another God, if there's something that's not supposed to be here, to destroy it. And then ultimately, Joshua led the people in again to uh, to take on the city of Ai. They set up an ambush. They got kind of crafty in their warfare and uh, easily won the victory. I like that they – obviously, I don't like that that happened, that they lost the battle or, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're rooting for Israel here, right? You know, <laughs> right. We, we want them to, to win this. But I do love that they lost this battle mm-hmm. to these this little AI. Mm-hmm proving to them that it wasn't them it was all god yeah god's protection wasn't on them with the, even these little guys so they couldn't do anything on their own yeah it was all god that did it to begin with yeah and and you know we have to wonder and hope that they caught that irony too yeah right <laughs> yeah i mean and you can see it in their reaction their first response is whoa god what happened right like that's that tells you a lot about where their heart was at and where they were at as a as the leaders and as the community of like something's not right here if we're going to lose to these guys. And, and and I think it does. I think it's a great lesson for us. I mean, I, I think I speak pretty confidently to both of us when, when the stressful stuff hits and when we're going through stuff, like my first response is typically not, okay, God, what's going on here? Why, why is this not working right? Like it's not until well after the fact I'm like, huh, I kind of did that to myself, didn't I? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got myself off track or I haven't been, I didn't approach that the way I should have or stuff like that. And, and that's, I mean, that's what you see here is they went in and they did something. You know, there were a couple of guys who did something they knew they weren't supposed to do. And it wasn't until after the fact that they realized something's not right here. Dealt with the consequences, but ultimately it all came back around. Yeah. I think, um, this is something to be careful with too when we when we're talking about this because mm-hmm. it can almost sound like anytime we do something wrong, God's going to punish us, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and that's not always the case. Now yeah. we do things to ourselves that <laughs> cause issues, and there's things that other people do to us that cause issues, and there's things that just happen that yeah. are out of our control. Ultimately, God is in control of. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that. Nobody's hearing us say, if you do something wrong, God's not with you. Right. That's right. Because God is always with you. I think in this case, with as much as God had led them into, mm-hmm. he kind of had to make a point. Yeah. He's like, I've been here the entire time, literally talking to you face to face. Listen to me. Yeah. And yeah. let's get rid of the people who don't. Well, I absolutely. 100% agree with that. And I think the other thing is that it. I think it's it's highlighting the seriousness of, hey, look, this isn't you. You're you're not the one doing this. If if you get your tail kicked by little AI because I'm not with you, what do you think is going to happen with the rest of the promised land? You mm-hmm. know, and and really highlighting you you need me through this. This is how this is going to work, and and using that as a wake up call for them. As a, as a lesson to learn, um, and I think that's a that's that's a big part of it because we because that's something we all deal with, right? Like you said, there are natural consequences when we do stuff to ourselves, but there are also things that are put in our path to help us get something out of it to get us back on the right track. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So God is with us. He just might be teaching us a lesson. That's right. It happens. <laughs> it happens. 
So, after their successful conquest of the city of Ai, there was a group from a city called Gibeon that tried to make a treaty with Israel. And so, they were kind of crafty in how they did it. They had worn out clothes, and they said they were from a faraway land, and they heard about the great conquering of uh, the Israelites and how their God had delivered them from Egypt and was delivering them into the promised land. And so, the, uh, the Israelites in this case, didn't seek out God's counsel. They didn't go to him and say, hey, what should we do? Um, and so they made a treaty with them. But come to find out, these guys were actually from one of the groups that was there. And it's not that they were nece- necessarily hostile or um, bad or evil or anything like that. But they created a treaty with this group, not realizing they were bringing their practices, their religious practices and all that stuff with them. And so this is one case where, you know, God's instruction of, um, you need to go in and kick everybody out of the land didn't happen. And this is it's kind of a little precursor. We're going to have some issues down the road where the, the beliefs and the practices of people in the land influences the Israelites and gets them off track. This is one of the first places we see that happen. So that aside, there were a whole bunch of other battles that happened uh, in this conquest. Um, Joshua led the people well in battle. They relied on God the rest of the way through. They learned their lesson, and he led them through each one. After all the battles were complete, Joshua and the elders of the people got together. They divided up the land. They started with the people on the east side of the Jordan, so they the Israelites came from the east side, crossed over the Jordan to the west. So there were three tribes that wanted to settle east of the Jordan um, because the land was good for their livestock and all that. It was Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh were um, released to go back to the east side of the land. And they split up the land, had their boundaries set and all that. And then all of the other tribes uh, settled to the west of the Jordan and kind of the main area of the promised land. And uh, had everything divided out. They assigned where each one was going to be. And then last but not least, you have the Levites who um, didn't have a specific portion in the land, but they had uh, cities throughout where they were going to set up basically little, I guess, tabernacles. It wasn't temples. There was one temple in Jerusalem that we'll get to way down the road, but they set up cities where people could come and do sacrifices and that kind of stuff. Um, and they also, interestingly, um, and I think this is just shows the wisdom that God helped them have. Uh, God gave them in, in the law of having cities of refuge where people who were falsely accused of things or who accidentally did things could run to and have a kind of a safe haven there with the, with the Levites. So, but yeah, so, so they battled through, took over the land and then they divided and settled it. And remember, the Levites are the ones that were set aside for God as priests right. um, to be the priests over Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Did they commune directly with God, or was that just a Moses, Aaron, and Joshua thing? So, there was always a high priest who did. Um, so, at this point, it was Joshua's son, Eleazar, mm-hmm. who was the high priest. So, this is getting more into... Well, it, it was true of the tabernacle, too, actually. There was a... There were like layers to it. So everybody could come to the tabernacle and kind of the courtyard area. And then the Levites were allowed in kind of the, can't remember the name of, basically the inner courtyard where you did sacrifices and stuff. But then there was a separate section that was in the temple. It was called the Holy of Holies. But there was it was just a little area where like the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And the high priest would go there to commune directly with God. And That's so, right. 
Typically, that was, at least my understanding, that was just the high priest. But Moses and Aaron could commune with him pretty much any time. Yeah, so Aaron Aaron was basically the the high priest role during during his time passed on to Eleazar. Now Moses and Joshua is interesting. They I think um they were the last leaders who had that same kind of relationship with God um outside of the high priest. Mm. Um but they but but they did during their travels and their conquests, they had that direct line of communication there. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Uh, thank you for clearing that up because I forgot some of that. <laughs> so, I like this one. I uh, I may have uh, read ahead a little bit. So, um, this is a this is very interesting. And again, it kind of goes back to the numbers thing. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as the way things work throughout the Bible, the same things work in here. So, um, to get to the point, how does this point to Jesus? Really interesting. And the first time I. I saw this fact. My mind was blown. So, did you know, fun fact, that the name Joshua in Hebrew that we have in the Old Testament is the same name and the same meaning of name as Jesus in the Greek. Both names in their languages mean that God is salvation. And it's really interesting when you see the roles that they play. Um, you know, Joshua, of course, we read, read about that and talked about that story today. He provided deliverance for the Israelites, brought them to the promised land, um, gave them ultimate, ultimate victory over their, over their enemies and settled into, uh, the land that God had promised them. And through Jesus, God provides deliverance to all who believe in him and victory over sin and ultimately eternal life in the new heaven and the new earth and new Jerusalem when all of that comes. And, and so it's, it's really cool to see the, the parallels there. When you look at the story, you look at how their deliverance comes. I also think it's just kind of a fun fact that if the new Testament had been written in Hebrew instead of Greek, we would worship Joshua, um, <laughs> which just doesn't sound right. I'm glad it's Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm happy about that, but, but, but it's just kind of interesting to think about it. Yeah. Could have all been different. Could have. And I find it interesting, you know, people, People don't necessarily name their kids Jesus, but we we, we hear a lot of Joshuas. I know we a do. few Joshuas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I just thought that was kind of a funny aside there. Um, what is, uh, again, we're, we're still in the Bronze Age here. We're kind of at the tail end. Not a whole lot going on in the rest of the world. <laughs> so, we're kind of sticking to close to home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's happening here? Really interesting and... And and I have I've heard about these things, but I did a little research in this um, recently in preparing for this episode, and was just amazed by uh, the findings. So um, give credit where it's due. BibleArchaeology.org um, has a report of a archaeology dig that was done in this area. What one of the big questions that I think is always out there with these Bible stories, the big Bible stories like. Moses crossing the Red Sea and the Battle of Jericho. I mean, it's just such an amazing moment. Is there any evidence that this mighty city of Jericho existed? Well, there were some studies done, um, digs done in the 50s that seemed to say, eh, we can't find any evidence of it. But in the 80s and 90s, um, some archaeologists went back and they found out there is actually 
evidence that Jericho existed and that the conquest, as described in the Bible, actually happened. They found everything from evidence of rubble piles around the city in roughly the shape of what they believe the city was that would line up with the stone and the brick architecture that they assumed that the stone walls were made out of. They've found remains that looked like they were um, burned as, as the... Um, you know, God instructed them to basically burn the city to the ground. And, and so there's remains there of, of a city devastated by fire. And the dating of all these materials lines up with the late Bronze Age, which, as you mentioned, that's roughly where we have this place in the overall historical timeline. And so we'll we'll include a link to the study in the show notes so you can check it out for yourself. But really cool to see that um, here once again, like we talked about with the parting of the Red Sea that there is archaeological evidence that these things actually happened, um, just like they talked about. They're not just these, you know, big Bible stories to, you know, help us have our faith in God. Like, this is historical stuff that actually happened. But, I mean, yes, they're there to increase our faith in God, but it actually happened. There's historical evidence, archaeological evidence that this stuff is the real deal. Yeah, and and so many people today seem to want to have historical evidence of, mm-hmm. you know, show me it existed, and you know it's just like everything else. There are books on people, but we can't go dig up their graves and show you they existed. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, there are there are so many things that you know we have to take on faith, but it's really cool to see actual evidence. Yeah, come up and and. It, it just bolsters our faith, yeah. right? And and not that we didn't already have it, but it's almost a told you so moment. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, it's another tool in our tool belt, right? It's it's something else that we've got to to hold on to. We can say, no, this, this is reality. This actually happened. The Bible is true. It's just one more evidence of that. I mean, we we already know from historical documents that Jesus actually lived, that he was a real teacher that had a huge following, as the New Testament described. We, we've got a lot of that history. And, you know, some of the interesting things about the Bible in general is that we've got, from a historical document perspective, we've got more older, consistent, more consistent evidence that what we have today is what was written by the people who wrote it than any other book out there. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, so many try to disprove it and, and think, Oh, there's no evidence. It's, it's all there. And, it's, but it's really cool when you get the physical evidence of like, no, this is, this is it. Um, Especially when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and, yeah. and you know, we've got even all that evidence yeah. of, of what was actually written. Yeah. So yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. For, uh, for and, th- and I love this, this book that, it has all the numbers. It has, you know, you mentioned the names being the same. Um, mm-hmm. That it all, in this book alone, you know, we did not take a whole lot of time going through it because it's a lot of battles. It's a lot of things that it's it's kind of, here's what happened. Yeah. And there's detail to get into, but you can certainly read that for yourself and, mm-hmm. and see it firsthand. But even though it didn't take us long, we were able to dig into some really cool stuff with numbers and names and yeah. um, and and the way God just lines everything up. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Um, my my nerdy side gets to come out when we see these things, and uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. And and so for for the skeptic out there that's thinking, nah, I don't know about all this stuff, give it an honest shot. See what you think. There have been several atheists out there who have 
done the research, done the done their findings, and said, you know, I, I think this is the real deal, right? That's where uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, he he was an atheist before he did all of his writings, and he he's one of the more well-known ones. Lee Strobel is a guy that has written a lot about, you know, the case for Christ and trying to disprove it and in so doing proved it. And, you know, there, there's so much out there. I really encourage you to... If, if you're skeptical or, or maybe you're dealing with doubts in your faith, you're like, I don't know about this to get, go out there and find some stuff. And if you want more information, shoot us a note, info at simplifiedjesus.com. We don't have all the answers, but we know, we know people who are pretty smart, know a lot of stuff and can point us in the right direction. So we, we would love to hook you up with that. That's right. That's right. Well, we appreciate y'all sticking around and listening to this episode. Uh, Next week, we're going to start looking at the era of Judges. If y'all want to follow along, we're going to be in Judges 1 through 8. And uh, we look forward to talking to you guys again next week. In the meantime, Matt, why don't you get us on out of here? If you have any comments, questions, or concerns about today's episode, shoot us a note at info at simplifyjesus.com. We would love to hear from you. Just let us know what you think. Be sure to check us out on social media and keep up with the latest from Simplify Jesus. We like to hang out on Facebook and Twitter. Comment, like, share. Keep up with all the latest stuff we've got going on there. You can also keep up with the latest at www.simplifyjesus.com as we roll out new podcast episodes and we've got different things going on. That's where you'll be able to find that. And finally, if you're looking for uh, where to listen to this podcast, let us know if you can't find us. But you can always just ask Alexa. Just say, hey, Alexa, play the Simplify Jesus podcast, and you'll find us there. And with that being said, you guys have a great week.